Good morning, Genesis. Good morning to those of you, those few of you here in the room. Welcome to those of you worshiping online. Welcome to those of you who are hearing us from the lobby. It is a beautiful day to worship Jesus, despite what the windows might tell you. But it is a special chance we have each week to gather as community gathered in person and online to be a worship and Jesus loving community. I had the ability to go to an event last night that was kind of about bringing classical music to non traditional spaces and as I was there I kept thinking. Maybe that's our mission is to bring Jesus to non traditional spaces right so I leave that nugget with you to kind of marinate in but I invite you to stand for our call to worship today, which is Psalm 111 and i'll be reading it from the um, nlt the new living translation. Praise the Lord I will thank the Lord with all my heart as I meet with his godly people. How amazing are the deeds of the Lord. All who delight in him should ponder them. For everything he does reveals his glory and majesty. His righteousness never fails. He causes us to remember his wonderful works for how gracious and merciful is our Lord. He gives food to those who fear him. He always remembers his covenant. Shown his great power to his people by giving them the lands of other nations. All he does is just and good, and all his commandments are trustworthy. They are forever true, to be obeyed faithfully and with integrity. He has paid a full ransom for his people. I'm just going to interject here. That means all y'all. He has paid a full ransom for his people. He has guaranteed his covenant with them forever. What a holy, awe-inspiring name he has. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom and all who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. Praise him forever. Amen. Let's worship together this morning. strong. 
done for me.
Amen. Children of God, you may be seated. Good morning. So we have a practice as a community, and we call it God sightings, and that's where we share, where have you seen God at work? Now, sometimes that question is so massive, so maybe we could phrase it this way. Where have you seen love break in? Where have you seen unconditional love break in around you? in the world and others? That's the question. Now, we do this sharing uh, for a couple of reasons. One, we think it's just cool to have this kind of participation, unedited, just that sort of the community sharing what they're seeing and what they have seen. But we know that it encourages us. In Revelation, it says that we overcome the enemy and an enemy that steals, kills, and destroys. And we overcome with two things. The blood of Jesus, and that's just one way of saying God's sacrificial love for us. We overcome because God loves us. And from the testimony of the saints, meaning the good news of those who are enduring and going and living. So, who's seen love break in this week? And do you have a story to share? Raise your hand. I'll bring the mic to you. Ed is always ready to go. If you guys know Ed, he is ready to share where good news is happening. Thank you. Sir, what's your name? My name is Kim Thomas Kelly. Sir, thank you for this morning. Um, I have a good friend, um, probably one of my best friends, who's a single mom, and she took her son, her teenage son, and her teenage niece and nephew and one of her son's teenage friends and they went up to Blue Mountain in Canada to go skiing this weekend. So starting yesterday afternoon at some point, these children decided that they were really in charge and stopped listening to my friend and really broke my friend's heart because she's put so much into them and um, she got up this morning, 6 o'clock. They were still up. They decided to stay up all night. They're going to be driving back today. There's a lot to do to clean up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm hurt, and I'm kind of angry. And I walk into church this morning, and the first person I see is Bo. And he says, how are you doing? I'm not so good. I started to complain about all this that had happened. And this gentleman and Bo reminded me, as we're in the men's room, um, <laughs> how, how we all fell as children a lot so i thank you for speaking god to me and i thank you for speaking god to me and i saw god this morning in the men's room thank you very much there you have it awesome things happen in the bathrooms and so we praise god for that we all, in the, the jewish community say they always praise god after they even use the bathroom because it's like man if you couldn't you would be in a lot of pain so thank you, God, for the good things that happened in the bathroom from conversations and everything else. There you have it. That's my teenage humor coming out. <laughs> Anybody else got some good news? Got a, a God sighting. Where did you see love break in this week? Oh, Tony's got a hand up. Did you have one too, Kim? Or We'll hit Tony. We'll come back. Hello, church. I work at Ford Field. 
And over the playoff run, I've seen a lot of people come together who normally wouldn't. People put aside, you know, the differences that separate so many of us and uh, come together as one has been fantastic watching people who would not give each other the time of day on the street become best friends during the Lions playoff run. Whatever the outcome today, I hope it brings people together, but I hope the Lions win. <laughs> and there you have it. Anybody else got something they want to share, a story? So a lot of you know that Manya pours her heart um, into our children. And last summer, she volunteered to be a cabin leader at summer camp. Um, and my daughter went for the very first time to camp to sleep away to spend the night somewhere else and loved it so much that she came back and has been talking since last July about going again. Um, which is one, really great, but two, she invited a friend from school who her family does not attend church. Um, and so when her mom texted me and said, Nora said she's going to summer camp and we, we are thinking we want to go too. And I said, okay, full disclosure, it is a, it's a Christian summer camp because I didn't want the family to be surprised when they sign up and then be like, you Jesus to my kid and didn't tell me. Um, <laughs> so I told her and they signed up last night. So Nora is very excited. She gets to go and um, this family is relooking at church again. That is so cool. Uh, Harvest did his first sleepover as well uh, last week, and it was a, a you know a, a family that we know who go to the Olive Branch, and they invited him to stay over, and he said yes, and he made it through the whole night, and it's like one of those things as a parent when well, it was just the first time. And so this is the first time he's at a friend's house overnight. He's not in the house, and you're like, whoa, change happens, right, doesn't it? Like, oh, we're here. This is where we are now. And so um, I was grateful for that. It was a cool family, loved on him, and it was a good experience. So those are cool moments. We think, oh, God, Dan is always ready to share, too. He's a, you know, he's a pastor at heart, you know, and we got to, this guy's always got something. He's ready to share. So, you know, there's things that some people call coincidences, but uh, I think it's often God doing things in the details, weaving it together. And uh, yesterday, Sharon and I were here to do, to do the Helping Hands as part of the Warming Center, and uh, Ben and Hannah Hoskins were doing the lunch, and uh, after it was all over and everything was done, Ben comes over and he says, we got a little leftover food. Do you guys want any? And we said, mm, sure, we're going to be here today and, you know, staying over. And so he gave us two lunches, which I put down in the refrigerator. So then I go take a little walk around and uh, a guy comes in who had missed lunch and he comes up and says, you got any lunches left? No, we don't have any lunches left. Ah, but I knew where, where some were. So I was able to give him lunch. And uh, so, you know, God's timing just to pass things on. We certainly didn't orchestrate it, but God did. It's awesome. All right, well, welcome. May the stories connect with us of the good work of God who's moving and active in people's lives. God's much closer, nearer, and kind than most of us realize. And so may we experience that today. I think we got another song. Here's Heather. Yes. You can sit, you can stand, you can worship however you feel led. Um, I think there's a good chance you know this one. Mm -hmm. 
that's our prayer this morning that when we have been there for 10,000 years 
we would be renewed for a 10,000 more, inspired, graced by your presence, existing solely to worship in the light of your holiness, Father. And those are really fancy words, and what I mean is just I can't wait to have nothing else to do except praise. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord. We love you. Amen. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Genesis. My name is Allison Caneza. Uh, if you fill out a physical green card, you can place it in the wooden box, which is currently not accessible through those back doors. We'll uh, fix that and pull it up here. Um, so you can place it in, in the box that will be up here. Um, Genesis is fully funded by your faithful and generous giving and cannot function without your financial support. When you give to Genesis, you're funding a multitude of causes. You're funding the warming center that keeps our friends experiencing homelessness safe. You're funding community cafe to provide food for those in need. And your giving makes sure our staff gets paid and that the heating bills for this building get paid. If you call Genesis your church home or even just a safe place to be on a Sunday morning, we ask you to consider giving towards our vision to create a space of belonging, to help individuals identify and develop their calling, and taking action for the good of others. All right, if you've ever been able to shoot the duck, this next announcement is for you. Invite your friends, dust off your roller skating ability, and come join us during open skate time at Skate World of Troy on Sunday, February 11th from 1 to 3 p.m. We would like to see kids and adults out on the floor with their best moves or giving it their best shot. All right, and just want to thank everyone who has helped with the Warming Center activities this past week and to everyone who will be helping in the week ahead. This program, quite simply, would not exist without you. Also want to thank the planning team who, has, who works behind the scenes to ensure there are food and drinks, prayer, conversation, showers, medical care, places to sleep, fun and games, and that everything runs smoothly. Next Sunday, we'll be doing teardown for the Warming Center immediately following this gathering. So if you're able to stay and help out, that would be great. Please continue to pray for the guests and for the volunteers, and that we can continue to provide a welcoming and dignity-filled experience for everyone. All right, uh, during connection, if you didn't get uh, five steps to repentance, come up and grab one of those, and we will be doing communion later today, so you can grab that stuff as well. Now it's time to stand up, say hello to someone close to you, and ask them what their favorite part of the Lions season has been so far.
Well, good morning again. Welcome. We know because the back is kind of closed off. Do not feel that you're distracting or creating a scene if you leave the room. I will not be offended. Do not take it personally. Do whatever you need to do. Move. Uh, so so we, the doors, the, the blue, the brown box is right there. If you've got a green card or if you give a physical gift in that way, you can drop it in that box on your way. If you didn't get one of our five steps of repentance, we got a little note sheet. We're going to be taking notes again today to practice this. So if you would like one, come and, come and grab one now. And if you didn't get a communion, the elements for that today, we're going to be taking communion to get you. I need to pass these through. Anybody need communion? If you're on Zoom or Facebook, feel free to grab uh, elements for at the end of the service, we'll take uh, communion together. So uh, as we said, we are talking about how to mend relationships today. And what this premise starts with is this reality that we all cause harm. And we all have been hurt by or harmed by others and we've all been bystanders of harm but for the most of us we've never been trained or seen examples of what it is how do you mend the harm that you cause how do you how do you take ownership of that how do you make it right uh, and and how to do that in a way that is caring for the person that you've harmed but it's also an act of care for yourself. What this comes out of is what we would say is just one of the values of mending the world. Normally we have the values, they're covered right now because of the serving, but, but our mending the world value says this, God is mending the broken world through Jesus. We join in God's work to bring justice, reconciliation, mercy and peace upon the earth until jesus returns in ultimate triumph over brokenness so one of the portions of this idea of mending the world is us actually mending a broken relationship where we would say we played a part in the break and so that's what we want to talk about today about people who can who can do that who can engage in that this idea of mending um, is, in broken relationships is always one where we will look behind us in order to go forward. We'll go back in order to go forward. Mending is always something of the past because we realize there was a harm. It's already taken place. And so we look back in order, in order to go forward. Sometimes we get an illusion that we can just say, you know what, I'm just going to move forward now into the new adventure that God or the universe or what I have for myself. But really, the way forward when it's mending is to go backwards. AA, which they are ninjas, for those in the recovery movement, they are ninjas in the work of making amends. It's a lifestyle. Uh, between this week, I was chatting with a number of my friends within the recovery movement, and the amount of wisdom 
that they have lived and experienced within walking the steps is unbelievable. It's one of the most gospel-centered movements that I know of. No one is making money from this. Their goal is to serve one another, to restore people to the dignity and to flourishing, and then to make amends to the brokenness that's caused through our own destructive patterns. And it's welcomed all. How beautiful. In AA, they say this, that every AA has found that they can make little headway in this new adventure of living until they first backtrack and really make an accurate and unsparing survey of the human wreckage that they have left in their wake. Looking back. So if you have the sheet in front of you about repentance, which is a key concept within Jesus, Jesus, when he came upon the scene, said things like, oh, the kingdom of God is at hand. The movement of God is happening. Here's what you should do. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. That summarizes it all. And so what we're talking about, well, what does this idea of repentance look like and the brokenness of relationships? Here are the five steps we talked about last week when you know you've caused harm. Jesus said it this way, if you know your brother or sister has something against you, you should go to them right away and make it right. Go to them and amend it. And so uh, Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg in her book called On Reparations and Repair, she she pulls this from ancient Jewish wisdom and said, here's five steps towards repentance. The first one, own the pain you caused. Number one, take ownership of what you've done. Don't backtrack. Own it, name it, and say it. What I said was racist. It was wrong. I have learning here to do. Step two, take steps to change. There is work to do in the harm that we've caused. Typically, there's an underlying issue underneath these harms. There's work, there's learning. That, that, those, that work can involve a therapist. That work could involve learning. That work could involve recovery. That work can involve removing yourself from toxic relationships. All a number of things that moves us in a different way than we've been going. Number three, make amends. Maybe that's paying for something for harm caused or for medical bills, but make it right. Four, it comes the apology, where you show the sorrow for what has happened. And five is, don't do it again. When the opportunity arises, go a different way. So these are the five steps. Today, we're gonna to be specifically looking at really step three in preparation for step three, in personal relationships. Like what is it in, in order to step, really, I guess it's really steps one, two, and three. If you're part of the recovery movement, we're gonna be looking at the 12 steps. They had 12, we made the five here. We're gonna be looking at steps eight and steps nine within recovery. Amen, Amen. yeah, all right, he's ready to go. When it comes to people making amends in our society, there is a current. There is a flow within our world that moves us in the path of least resistance. Our society's current is not one of making amends. 
the current to let bygones be bygones, sweep it under the rug. It's not one of growth and of repair. But the current of God is the current of love. Love for us and love for one another. This is the stream. And the current of God will move us and care towards others. And to care towards them, especially if we've wronged them. So that's where we're going to go today. Just to remind us about apologies, um, Taylor sent this video to me. She thought it fit last week about what isn't actually an apology. And so this will just kind of help us now before we jump in. These are all things when you go to someone in order to make amends or to make an apology that typically of what it looks like. So let's watch this for a second. I just got a little upset in the heat of the moment. You know I didn't mean that. Okay. Where, hey, if I'm being honest, I felt really disrespected when you were making fun of me earlier today. Oh my gosh. I just got a little upset in the heat of the moment. You know I didn't mean that. Okay. Where is that remote? This is ridiculous. Point a remote at somebody and get a different apo- I'm sorry that you're so sensitive. Wow, you almost had me there. Listen, I'm sorry you feel that way. Mm, don't love that one either. I'm sorry, but I wouldn't have mocked you if you would have just listened the first time. Definitely not. Let's try to keep butts out of our apologies, okay? Babe, I was just joking. Can't you take a joke? Hate that one. Okay, I'm sorry. I guess I can't do anything right. Hard pass. Fine, I'm sorry. Are you happy now? Way too aggressive for an apology. Okay, I'll apologize if you admit you messed up too. Eh. Apologies aren't conditional. I'm sorry for whatever I did. Nope. Try again. Fine, I'm sorry for giving you constructive feedback. Yeah, no. Babe, that was the past. Can we not just move on? No time like the present to take accountability for our actions. Why are you trying to punish me in all this? You trying to make me feel bad? How are you always the victim, even though I was the one that was hurt? Okay, I'm sorry, but for the record, you do the same thing to me, and I never bring it up. Not even close. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have mocked you. That was wrong. Hold on. I care about how my words and actions affect you. I want to be a safe place where you can be honest. I want to listen to how it made you feel so we can repair and reconnect. Babe, I love that so Oh, crap. Jeez, I'm sorry. Why are you making such a big deal about nothing? No, 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 no. Go back. Back, back, back. Where's the back button? Back. Is this thing working? I think I broke it. So, so many of those examples are not apologies. We have a lot to learn when it comes to making amends. Here's the reality. We are going to get to practice this for the rest of our life. So we can learn some methods, some ideas that will actually produce love for ourselves and others. We have the opportunity to practice this. It is hard and scary. <laughs> it is. There was a report. Hey, I'm gonna. Add, you're good. You're good. Uh, you're doing great. Yeah. Please. No, only because nobody. Not everyone can hear you. Not everybody can hear you and, and go on there. But let's talk afterwards. I love your passion and your fire. It's beautiful. When it comes to estranged relationships, when it comes to relationships that are strange, they say one in four people have an estranged relationship from a significant family member. About 30% from their family have been, have been cut off. 
There's one person, could be a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, a grandparent, of all of these that are not on talking terms. They will not engage. They will not talk. And there's a ton of reasons around those. But it's incredibly common in order to have it happen in every family. Not only just in our families, but among friendships of that where the relationships just crumble and crumble immediately. And a lot of times it's because there is harm that has been caused. And sometimes that harm is caused by ourselves. And so these estrangements that we have in personal relationships are really, really common for most of us. When we talk about those who are estranged and making amends in this, my friends in recovery say there's one caveat um, for a certain type of relationship where they say, um, do, uh, this is not on you to make things right. And that's if you've experienced abuse. If you have been abused in a relationship in your family, it's not for you to take any ownership of that to say in any way that was your fault. That was the perpetrator's fault 100%. There is no two sides when it comes to experiencing abuse. And this is what in the recovery world they say, when it's abuse, we step back and we say, oh, there's no justification for abusing another human being. So let's put that aside that we're not talking about that, but what we're talking about is harm caused in a relationship. Perceived harm that's caused in a relationship. And about when we can recognize that, how to step to it. How to work these steps of repentance. I want to look at a story in, in Luke chapter 19 that Jesus tells that's so cool. And this, is, this begins in the beginning of, chapter one, of verse 1, but I, I'll pick it up here. Jesus is in the city of Jericho. He's in there. He's on this journey. As he's in this city, they say there's a rich man who's a tax collector named Zacchaeus. And this is a very, very popular story for children who are small in some way. Most of us have learned songs about this story. Zacchaeus is a, it was the chief tax collector. That meant with, with all the tax collecting that was happening in the city, um, every exchange of taxes, Zacchaeus made something from it. He's incredibly wealthy, and he was notorious for being a sinner, or more than likely being a swindler. That the people were oppressed, and Zacchaeus became rich on the expense of others. And so Zacchaeus hears about Jesus. There's a big crowd. Zacchaeus cannot see Jesus because he's small. And so he climbs up a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus. And Jesus begins to walk by. It's such an interesting little story. And as he's walking by, here's what happens in verse, in verse 5 to 9, or verses 5 to 10. This is in Luke 19. I think I, I think I wrote up there wrong, Luke 10, but it's Luke 19. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He is gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, 
Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. We had this such fast story, but we're talking about making amends. Here's a story about an individual who begins to make amends. Within the short turn of events, we have this one who's stepping in and engaging. But the story starts with him just being picked and chosen, and Jesus asked him to be with him. In verse 7, it lets us know that no one likes that Jesus chose to be with Zacchaeus. They were displeased. Why were they displeased? Because he had caused a lot of harm. He was a harm doer. That's why they were displeased. In the wake of his life were a ton of people who knew exactly what he had done and to whom. That's why they were unhappy. He was getting shown favor, and he was a harm doer. Now verse 8, between verse 7 and 8, we do not know what happened. But Luke, in this story, doesn't seem to care to tell us. All he tells us is the crowds and the people are mad. But meanwhile, as Jesus and Zacchaeus are together, something happens. And Zacchaeus responds. He just, we, we hear nothing that Jesus says to him while they're together. All we hear is this. I'll give half my wealth to the poor if I've cheated people. Or I'll give half my wealth to the poor, boom. And if I've cheated people, I will give them back four times as much. Those two things right here. What is happening here? Repentance. It's repentance. What's happening here is indirect and direct amends. In AA, when they go to the steps, they say there's two, there's, there's two crucial steps. Step eight is this. Make a list of all persons we have harmed and become willing to make amends with them all. Kind of like there's two parts to step eight. Make the list. Step two, or part B of eight, become willing to make amends. Step nine made direct amends or make direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others except when you go to them do so these are steps eight and nine all about making amends and this is what we see Zacchaeus doing the direct amends are this he says if I have cheated someone if I have stole from them here's how I'm gonna make it right I'm going to give them back four times as much as I cheated from them. This is how I will amend what I have taken from them. That's a direct amends. It's going to go right to the people whom he harmed. Four times as much. This, is his, this was his thought for this. A direct amend is when you can actively or confronting your behavior with the person who you harmed. 
But sometimes there's indirect amends, meaning that you can't directly interact with the people you caused harm to. So maybe you're estranged with them and they want nothing to do with you. You don't force your way back into the relationship. Maybe they've died. They're no longer here and you can make no direct amend to them. So then you can make indirect amends. The indirect amends that Zacchaeus makes here is he says, half of all of my money I'm going to give to the poor. I'm gonna, this is a different way, this is like a, like a living amends of saying, I'm going to have an eye on the poor. I'm going to respond differently because somehow he was driven towards money and to cheat. And so he's going to move from cheating to this lifestyle of generosity to give half of what he has away. Not specifically to the people he's harmed, but specifically to people in need. I'm going to give to the poor. This is what we see Zacchaeus responding to. In AA, they talk about symbolic amends. And they say, so sometimes you may not have the opportunity to make direct amends to the person you've harmed. That perhaps the person is no longer living or you no longer have contact with them. And symbolic amends is where maybe potentially you write them a letter. Or maybe you give to a charity in their name of something they cared about. Or maybe you give to a nonprofit that connects into the same offenses or the, uh, the, of, that connects to the person that you've heard. Living amends are amends that refer to the ways in which you change how you live your life in recovery. This is a living amends where was Zacchaeus that says, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. These changes affirm your commitment to the direct or symbolic amends that you've made with others. Living amends represent the long-term action that you'll take to remain committed to recovery. And so for some, when they've caused amends in a certain way, will give themselves to direct action in that movement. So many people in recovery, like AA, because they know that they've caused great harm, they give themselves to helping people who have found themselves in those patterns in that same life and say, I'll walk with you to help you. I'll walk with you to make amends. I'll, I'll use my life to help others in this. And so these are direct and indirect amends. And this is what we see Zacchaeus doing. But in this story that we don't get to see, at some time or another, hypothetically, Zacchaeus would have had to done step eight, which is he would have stopped what he was doing and said and start making a list of those he had harmed. Now, that list could be pretty massive. Huge. I assume he made a list, and maybe he knew directly a few of the people, uh, or maybe he even announced, hey, if, you, if I've wronged you, come to me. But it's proactive. He's the one doing so. And as he'd make the list, then he would go to them. We don't see this part of the story. We just hear him say, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to give half of my money. This is Zacchaeus making amends, calling out what he's done that's wrong, moving in a lifestyle differently, and engaging. That step eight within AA, when we talk about making amends, 
the AA uses this language, becoming willing or ready to make amends. That is really hard. That's hard work. A, a, a community member that I was talking to this week sent me stuff on this, and it says, hey, this work requires letting go of blame, resentment, self-justification, or harms done to us, etc. But you must become willing. Well, it's kind of fun about, not, okay, I use fun in a weird way. This is not fun. Um, but this is good. At some part or another, when we think about the personal relationships that we have, and we're willing to actually the name and make that list, it does take a little bit of time to sit down and think, who are the people who have something against me? Or who are the people that I know I've harmed? And it's undealt with. We're not talking about resurfacing old, th old things that you've made amends to. When I was um, 18, I borrowed my stepbrother's truck without asking. I just kind of took it for a little drive, and I went to go put gas back in it, and I accidentally filled it with diesel fuel. Uh, um, and I destroyed his truck. Terrible. So I, I gave him my car. I, you know, I, I, I gave him my transportation in order for him to either to sell that and to fix his truck or just to use that. That's, that's, that's making um, amends to the wrong that you've done. Could he still hold something against me? Maybe. Hey, when you're 18, you're, you're foolish. As youngsters, we do dumb things. Um, maybe. But what we're talking about is just having an openness and to say, is there somebody that I've wronged? Just asking that question is terrifying. For the last week, I think I've been like, I'm not ready even to ask that. I'm not even ready to give that space. My friend who's in recovery, he does it every day. He's a ninja. Every day, he looks over his day and he says, who have I harmed today? Just to see, not out of shame or guilt or embarrassment, but out of a way of God breathing life and care into those relationships and into him. Who have I wronged? And who's wronged me? When he asks that question, who's wronged me? So he can let them go. He can forgive them. He asks it every day. I... That's not a practice of mine, for sure. <laughs> but I've been asking, who, who have I harmed? I wrote down a few names on my own list. And that's a start, isn't it? And so, if you're willing to practice repentance, this practice is always about looking in the past. It's always looking at like over the last week, the last month, the last years, and asking that question, have I harmed somebody? Does somebody have something against me? Have they told me? I, uh, I caused harm to someone. They were never able to speak it directly to me, but they but usually when you cause harm, they're going to tell somebody else, and this person told another individual, and they said this, I'm never going to speak to him again. So, and, and they have kept their word. 
Well, not, they, they have, but it's been, you know, just, how you doing when I saw them at 7-Eleven? So I know they have something against me, and I've tried a little, a little bit, not super hard, to be like, help me understand the wrong that I've done to you. And this was a friend, close friend. So his name's on my list. Um, and that one's pretty recent, maybe well, three years. And I got another one on there. That's like 27 years old. Because I heard a story that was told from another friend of something that I did to him that just kind of belittled him. And I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't even remember that until it was told. And I was like, oh, yeah, I did that. Is this to shame me? Not at all. Is this to bury me in guilt so that we can just like, I'm going to do everything right? No. This is just pointing something out to say, huh, I, I, I judged this person really harshly. I corrected him really harshly. And um, even as I look back on it, I'm like, oh, that's really ugly. I don't want to be that kind of person who does that. And as I look at my life, I can see a pattern. I've done that to other people. Until we recognize those things that we've done, then we don't know how to change. We don't know how to grow. I put one one more name on my list. So, as with this, my AA ninja, or my recovery ninja person who said when we go through these steps, he says, oh, here's another thing. You never do this alone. Never. You never go on this journey of repentance by yourself. You need guidance. If you're in recovery, you have a sponsor. But if we're here, we need friends. We need trusted voices. We need therapists. So my plan, I meet with my therapist tomorrow, every other Monday, and I'm going to bring it to her. I'm going to be like, okay. And she usually can feel out my, like, weird stuff and gives me a good voice of of reason within it and to say oh here's three four if i count the truck one and then i ask another trusted friend who we talk about life and hearing from god who we've said let's make some lists and bring them to each other and just get feedback for each other so here's the here's my encouragement for you about making amends and personal relationships I encourage you, make a list. And I want to give you the freedom to say, you don't have to have any intention of following up. Just make the list. Just ask the question. Because the step two is getting, getting to a spot of readiness or willingness where you might make amends with them. But it's no presumption. It's no, it's no, like, like, we don't even know if we can or we'd be willing. That's okay. We want to practice. So I encourage you. I implore you for, um, out of love for others and yourself, ask the question, who have I harmed? And make the list. After you've done that and you step away, 
the next step would be to take that to a friend, a counselor, and share that with them. To process. Would it be healthy to make direct amends? Would it hurt anyone to make direct amends? To even to process the question, are you even willing to make direct amends? Do you want to know that um, it's way more beneficial for you to know you're unwilling to make direct amends than it is for you to be delusional and not even aware of the wrongs you've done? It's way better for you just to even to know, I'm not there. Because at least we're being honest. We're being honest to that reality. I'm not ready. But maybe, by the grace of God, the help of others, we may be willing at another time. We're believing in this kind of graciousness and kindness. So the encouragement in personal relationships This is risky, this is vulnerable, this is scary, this is against the grain of society, this might be viewed as even as overboard, but we do it out of care for others and ourselves. It's the love of God that propels us into this. God's love for us and God's love for others. So my encouragement, are you willing to even ask the question, who has something against me? Who have I harmed? wronged and not made any kind of amends to? Who have I just run from, avoided? Or do I still feel of that weirdness? There's a process. Some encouragement, make the list. After you've made the list, talk, get a guide. Talk with a guide, your counselor, a friend, therapist, an elder here, a pastor here. I know that um, Dan and Sharon, they are peacemaker people. They are wise, and they know how to navigate really hard, difficult, complex scenarios. But I also know they love nothing more than helping peace and restoration um, to, to come, to be. They are amazing voices in that here. I know of them. Dan has done that for me to be able to bring crazy things. Another elder in our community is Nasha. Nasha is amazing at this. Bonnie is another elder who's amazing in our community, being able to listen and being gentle and give wisdom. So I'm just saying, if you're like, I don't have anybody there's people here who live to, to serve in this context. I, I, as pastors, Nate and I as well, we were like, goodness, we would do it any day of the week. But if, you're, if you need someone, if you're like, you know what, if the, if the obstacle is I don't have someone to walk with me, uh, come to me and I'll, I'll direct you to some really beautiful people who would love to walk with you. So make the list. Somebody right there too? Oh. Yeah. No, you're beautiful. All right, so here's my big question. How does one become willing? How does one become willing to do this work? To be 
become ready. How did Zacchaeus become willing? I don't know. Here's the one thing I see in this story. The beautiful hope of this story for us all. Because we have this question, what happens to him? All we know is this. Jesus accepts him and welcomes him, embraces him, and eats with him. Jesus, all we know is he says these words to him. I must be a guest in your house. That's all we're told. I must be a guest in your house. That's what Zacchaeus gets. Jesus welcomes us. And Zacchaeus welcomes Jesus. There is zero coercion. Jesus say, oh, Zacchaeus, just so you know, um, if you don't pay up these debts before you die, hell's coming your way, friend. You're going to pay it all. We don't, we don't hear that threat in there. So he's like, I must be a guest in your house. I must come and be with you. And he's received. In my opinion, I think that's the key. Again, I would love you to ask the Holy Spirit, what helps you to be willing, to be ready, to make things right? But I love that, where Jesus says this, I must be a guest in your house. Jesus has no reservations about making a place, about welcoming you and connecting himself to you. He has zero reservations about that. So could we welcome Jesus into us? When we take communion, this is why it's one of my favorite parts as a weekly practice. Could we be overdoing it? I don't know, maybe. But I need it. I need a weekly reminder of Jesus saying, let me be a guest in your house. I must be in your house with you. And an opportunity every week to say, yes, I need you. Yes, I welcome you. Yes, you're my life. Yes, you don't, you don't, you don't keep your distance from me, even if I've caused harm. But that kind of radical welcome and that kind of radical love seems to be the key that unleashes Zacchaeus to respond in love to his world in order to address the harms that he's caused without fear or guilt or shame, but in brutal honesty as one who is unconditionally accepted and loved and welcomed by Jesus. How may we remember this as we step into this, that Jesus also shouts out to us, let me be a guest in your house. I must be with you. And may we say yes. And as that guest steps into our lives, and much more than a guest, a savior, a healer, a lover, a parent, a friend, we find that we are moved 
to respond in ways that we hadn't before when that love meets us. So may that be. I'm going to invite Heather up and we're going to take communion. Oh, did everybody get their elements? Anybody need one? And so, we hear that beautiful invitation where Jesus looks upon us. Who sees us, who knows us. He knows the mess we've made of things, or the tree we've climbed up. Or the hole we've dug for ourselves. And yet still his eyes meet us. And his only thought is, I must be a guest in your house. I think there's a smile on that face. I think there's kindness and joy in those eyes. This is the love of God that is speaking to us. Let me be a guest in your house. We're not coerced. We, we get to say yes to it. So I love these kind of simple practices of communion because in a way of us eating, we're just saying yes. We're saying yes to that. We're saying yes to that invitation that says, let me be a guest in your house. I welcome you. And by our eating and drinking, we're just saying, yes, God, I welcome you into my house. This house, my body, my mind, I welcome you. I welcome your love. I welcome all that comes with you. Because what Jesus said came with that was salvation, life. And so we say yes. So when you're eating and drinking, we are saying yes. And as we're welcomed, we know that others are welcomed as well. May this strengthen us towards whatever Jesus leads us to. So I want to invite you, if you can peel away that little top layer of your communion, or if you've got a piece of bread at home, or a cracker, whatever you have. Jesus offered this to his friends. So this is my body that's broken for you. Take and eat it in remembrance of me. Thank you, God, for your gifts. Let's eat. Jesus also took the wine. He blessed God for it. He offered it to his friends. If you want to peel that open too.
said there's a new covenant that's formed in his blood for the forgiveness of sins. So we're reminded of that kind of love where Jesus releases those debts. Whereas love says, I, I, I will gladly <laughs> come into your home and eat with you. And so we receive that, that kind of love. No reservation from God. So God, thank you for your forgiveness and your love for us. We welcome you. And as we sit and receive that welcome of Jesus, we're going to respond. And Heather's going to lead us in a song, so I invite I'm going to hand it over to Heather to kind of lead us in this before we go. Sure. There are parts of it I think will be familiar to you, but I pray that all of it would wash over you and you would be right in the center of these words.
You're here because you care. You care about people. May you feel the pleasure of Jesus and the welcome of Jesus upon you in the heart. We are talking about hard things. But you care. So you feel that delight even in the heavy. But if we talked about estranged relationships and about strange relationships from people you love and care about, who that leaves a residue that immediately pulls you into maybe a different place. I want to invite Bonnie, um, Dan, if you would just want someone just to, just to kind of say, uh, you just want someone to pray for you, pray for your family, pray for that estrangement, just as an act of kindness, compassion, because it's just heavy. Um, we want to offer that for you today, because we know that's hard, hard and incredibly complicated. And it matters to you, we know. So, that's you. We're going to offer prayer up front for that. May you go in the pleasure and the care of God as you go. May the Holy Spirit continue to empower you and to move you in the current of God's love. To wherever that might direct you. May you go in peace. God bless you guys. We're going to talk about making amends, but we're going to talk about it institutionally next Sunday. So I'll take the heat a little bit off, maybe. <laughs> but institutionally, for organizations, churches, and uh, schools, and that out of harm, just what do we do? So, thank you for serving. Have a great Sunday. We'll talk to you soon.